Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. Welcome to the Podcasting Stories podcast. My name is David Spray, and today we're talking with Ken Clark, founder of the Chanel Family Therapy Company. Ken is a serial entrepreneur, and his most recent venture is Chanel Family Therapy. After nearly a decade on Wall Street, Ken wanted to make more of a difference and decided to return to school to become a licensed therapist. In 2010, after graduating from a California school and ready to start his therapist career, he noticed that his home state of California seemed saturated with therapists. In this episode, we learn how and why he decided to launch his practice in, of all places, Little Rock, Arkansas. Once he launched his practice, Ken integrated learning from other business experience and developed a novel practice management platform for therapists. As other therapists learned of his platform, they asked if they could join the platform. What started as a few therapists joining has exploded into nearly 200 therapists, more than $10 million in revenue, and a spot on the Inc. 5000 list for the past four years. This is a fascinating episode about how to identify untapped markets and leverage experience from other ventures. Ken is a warm and fascinating entrepreneur, and any entrepreneur can learn a lot from Ken. Additionally, Ken is thinking about starting a podcast, and we drilled into the details. Ken scored the highest score ever on our scorecard, 87 out of 96, and is an ideal candidate for a podcast. We brainstormed different strategies to get maximum leverage from the podcast. If you're considering starting a podcast, this podcasting conversation is full of ideas and value. All right, let's get to the show. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on it and excited to, to get to think out loud with you. Yeah, my my pleasure. Well, let's start by, I mean, you've got a really amazing business background, but in the interest of time, I want to focus primarily on the Chanel family therapy business. Why don't you tell us a bit about that business, you know, kind of how it came to be and kind of your market focus, and, and then we'll go from there. So what, what made you, first off, decide to become a licensed uh, therapist? I believe it started there, right? You became a therapist first, then you launched yeah, the business? I- in my former life, I had worn a couple of hats. I had been a uh, certified financial planner and, and was a kind of a Wall Street nerd for uh, college and the first part of my career. And in that role, especially working with wealthy families and wealth transfer and stuff, you, you kind of had a front row seat to some stuff that was worthy of family counseling. And so, <laughs> sure. You know, dad, dad picked you as the executor because he liked you the best, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think early on, I, I got a lot of experience uh, kind of refereeing and being at ground zero and seeing these families that had it all put together on the outside and, and were struggling on the inside. After that, I, I did some time with a nonprofit youth organization called Young Life and got to, to love on kids and, and families. And I did that with my wife for about a decade and loved that. Loved the uh, mentoring aspect and kind of just walking alongside people with no agenda, but being available. And 
came to the end of that, like a lot of nonprofit folks decided nonprofit's good for a season, but maybe not for a career. And I had a buddy who had started a counseling agency and needed somebody who understood QuickBooks and, and things like that. So I uh, stepped in as, as the CFO of a small counseling agency. And very quickly, uh, when I was there, I, I saw the opportunity to merge some of those previous hats I'd worn. And pretty amazed. This guy got to sit on a couch and people just showed up and handed him money to talk about the problems and decided to go back to grad school and do that. That was in my mid-30s. We got to the end of grad school. We were living in Southern California. We decided we kind of wanted to, to change scenery and get out of that, that rat race maybe a little bit and uh, looked around the country and uh, for where it would be a good place to open a mental health solo practice. We had no aspirations of being big. And we, being a numbers guy, I looked at the number of divorces in each metro area on an annual basis and compared that to the number of therapists in that area. And Little Rock, Arkansas had one of the highest levels of divorces per therapist from a market research point of view. I thought that's a great place to to start a practice. So we moved here about a decade ago and started a practice. And then we kept running into like-minded people who wanted to learn from us and what we were doing and, and started working with them. And before too long, there was three or four of us, and then there was five or 10 of us. And now a, a decade later, there's actually about 200 of us and uh, continuing to grow. So uh, that's kind of how we ended up where we are. That is a, uh, that is an awesome story. And do you still do uh one-on-one therapy yourself or is that something? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, so it's a practice value for us, a company value that you, you shouldn't be leading people doing something if you're not willing to do it yourself. So we require everybody in leadership in our company to continue to see some clients just so they their decision-making is relevant, if you would put it that way. Sure. I, I do. And I, I primarily work with C-suite couples and families and kind of executive stress, stuff like that. Great. Well, that is a really great story. And in fact, I think you your growth has been so fast, you landed on one of the Inc. fast growing lists. Is that correct? Yeah, this will actually be our, our fourth year in a row on the Inc. 5000. So they, they, they published that list of 5,000 fastest growing companies in the United States. We've made that list four years running, usually somewhere in the the 1,000 range out of 5,000, but we've grown in excess of 50% a year for over a decade. That is awesome. I was listening to a podcast recently, and they were talking about that it's great to be on the Inc. 5,000 list, but you don't really want to be on the Inc. 50 list because those <laughs> companies like have a really high failure rate because of just mm. the tremendous growth. Right. Cause you know, the ones in that like top 50 list, they're not growing 50% a year. They're growing like 500 or 5,000% oh, yeah. a year. Yeah. So good. Well, yeah, yeah that I, sounds like the sweet spot being about a thousand. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think like all entrepreneurs, uh, either, you know, there's that saying that uh, revenue is vanity and profit is sanity and cash is king. I think like every organization we've, We've had to learn to move away from the glitz of growing the top line to the, the stability of growing the bottom line. And that, as fast as we've grown, that's been a challenge. I, I can't imagine uh, what it is to stabilize uh, a rocket ship like some of those top 50 companies. Sure. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I can't even imagine the 50% growth rate uh, <laughs> uh, you're at. 
Although I guess as soon as I say that, this this podcast business I started in February is is certainly growing. You know, will grow faster right? than that at least in the start, right? Bef- you know, yeah. So tell me a bit more about the model. You said there's about 200 of you meeting uh, licensed therapists, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's probably 175, and then about 25 administrative staff. Oh, yeah, but continuing to grow. I think we're onboarding 10 or 15 people right now. So the, you know, I think ours is probably a, a reframing of what a lot of savvy leaders know, which is your most important customers are the people that actually work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, our therapists, people come for the therapists. They don't come for the furniture, or the name that everybody can't pronounce or uh, right. whatever. They come because they build a personal relationship with this person who knows their deepest, darkest kind of stuff. We are about attracting people who are high performers as clinicians, uh, not just on the clinical side, but they're also somewhat busy, business savvy and uh, motivated by a good income. And we give them a a place and a context to essentially be in business for themselves without having to be in business for themselves. We refer to ourselves as high autonomy, high support. You know, they don't have to pay rent. They don't have to figure out why the fax machine is not working. And they also don't have to sit through a lot of the staff meetings. So we really right. have tried to strike that sweet spot and attract people who maybe have already proven to themselves uh, that they can run a private practice, but also proven that they don't want to run a private practice. Mm-hmm. So that, that's our rip. And the, the folks come out of the woodwork to see these clinicians. So the clinicians are the real rock stars in our practice. Sure, sure. And and I'm curious, can you talk at all about the, and if you can't, I, I respect it, but about kind of the economic relationship? And the only reason I'm asking is because I'm kind of envis- you know, visualizing myself being one of these therapists. And if your platform effectively costs uh, $100 a month, I'm probably all over it. And if it effectively costs me, you know, $25,000 a month, it's you know, probably not worth it. I'm guessing the cost of them is somewhere between 100 and uh, 100 a month and 25 or 50,000 a month. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, it's probably easier to talk about in terms of margin. I, I think okay. on an annual basis, you know, we we do a revenue split somewhere in the ballpark of, of 60% of the, the revenue goes to the clinician on a W-2 basis. And then we, we run the, the business out of the other 40 and, and make our profit out of that. We constantly have to remind our clinicians that, that we don't keep 40. We actually keep probably uh, five to 10%, like a lot of medium-sized businesses, but uh, the rest goes to operations. But what we see there is for your typical therapist, if they were in private practice by themselves, they're going to spend roughly 25% of the money they make on operational rent, all that kind of stuff. We, When the smoke clears with benefits and everything like that, it, it's probably about 28% that they lose to us. So it, it's neck and neck on a pure economic basis. But the, the real win and what we show them on paper is Opportunity that, uh, cost. Yeah, it's the five or 10 hours a week of, of trying to figure out why the internet's not working or an insurance claim's going, not going through that you don't get paid for that we handle for you. And, and when you count that into working for yourself, it, it drives your effectively effective hourly rate down below what you, you earn with us. You, you earn more per hour working for a, a, a top-notch group practice. And if you got those extra hours to give, go do something with them. See more clients or go teach at the local college. But 
working for yourself for free in that extra five to 10 hours is, is not economically wise. So that's where the win is for us. Is it's about a break even on paper, but it, it's really in their favor when you look at hourly compensation. Sure. Now that that is just a, uh, I mean, I just love the model and the solution you have. And so how do you find these new therapists? Is it word of mouth from current therapists or from uh, marketing initiatives? Yeah. You know, I think historically we've seen folks come from one of two places. One, we're uber protective of our, our culture. You know, you hear a lot of these places that kind of have no jerk policies and, and things like that. And, and you could say we fall in that category as well. We, we just don't need toxic people in the organization. So one, we were very reliant on our existing rock stars to tell us who else should be in the band. You know, who have you worked with before that is amazing, ethical, easygoing, you know, all these kinds of things. And so we, we get a lot of recommendations internally on, on folks that we should work with. Probably the other place we get them is these folks that have the guts and the wherewithal to reach out to us on their own. I've always had a high respect for somebody who's got the courage to go knocking on doors. And, and when you're leading change in the therapy room with an individual or a couple, a lot of times you got to knock on the door and, and invite them into change and vulnerable conversations. We have a lot of respect for people who show up with a resume in hand and say, you don't know me, but you're going to want to. So we, probably maybe a quarter or a third of our folks are, are people that got to kick down the door for themselves. But we don't historically recruit through Indeed or any of these places. We want people that our folks want, or we want people that want to be here, but not people who are simply looking for a job. Sure. I can appreciate that. So if we were sitting down five years from now, having this conversation, what, what do you think the business looks like then? How many therapists do you think you have? I think we're anywhere from where we are now, you know, I think at any given point, any owner needs to ask themselves, should I right size? Should I, should I, is this a good spot to camp out? So anywhere between probably where we are now and another hundred to 150 therapists, uh, which would put us anywhere from in the, the low teens, like, you know, 12, 13 million in revenue upwards of 20, 25 million in revenue. So I think we'll probably come to rest somewhere in that, that range. Okay. And, and when you talk about the revenue number, that's that gross revenue number of which yeah, 60% yeah. goes to the therapist and then 40% yeah. you all uh, yeah. use yeah. for your magic. Yeah. Okay. What's the most enjoyable or satisfying part of the work that you do? Or you, I mean, aside from your your private practice of your own clients, but as far as just from the business perspective, what's, what do you find the most satisfying? You know, I've always been a leadership development nerd. I I, I grew up on, you know, business anecdotes and stories of, of great CEOs and leaders and things like that. So watching these clinicians that have started with us as a clinician, but, but worked their way into some leadership roles Watching them stretch, watching them be vulnerable, watching them have breakthrough moments, most of whom never fancied themselves as entrepreneurial leaders, you know, that to me is super fun. And our organization is probably 80% women, not dissimilar than our industry. And so a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for uh, women to finally get a, a platform that's been missing for them to play with leadership, to experiment with leadership, to not have to get it 
right, right and stick the landing on the first try. We're a very uh, developmental organization. That That's probably one of the highlights for me is watching somebody who thought they were going to be a therapist their whole life turn into uh, a director of something and come to trust their skills. That, that's super fun. Yeah, I bet that is. Yeah, I say the same thing, or I shouldn't say the same thing. I have a similar feeling on this whole podcasting business because mm. when I started in this a couple of years ago, I used to, and I was doing one podcast a month, and I used to say it was my favorite hour of the month was mm. being able to to showcase somebody on the podcast. And but what I've discovered since then is I actually find it even more enjoyable and more satisfying helping other people discover the magic of having a podcast mm-hmm. and then watching them kind of grow from, you know, them saying, Hey, I've never even been a guest on a podcast. I mean, sure. I listen to some, but I've never been a guest. I don't do a lot of public speaking and, you know, I'm not sure I can really pull this off. And then after just, you know, half a dozen episodes, just watching the transformation and the increasing confidence mm-hmm. And them just really uh, falling in love with it. So I can, I, I think I can relate to what you're saying. And your your therapists are mostly in the the middle south. Is that correct? Or the yeah, southern right now Midwest? we're we're mostly in Arkansas, kind of run from border to border in the state. So we got an office right up against the Missouri border, down against Texas, Oklahoma, Memphis, Tennessee, even. So we're mostly Arkansas, but we do have an office that we opened in. Dallas during the pandemic, which was scary, but so that office is getting its feet on the ground and will hopefully grow. And we're starting to get people knocking on the door there saying that they want to be part of what we do there. So our goal, I think, in the long run is if the growth momentum continues and, and, and we're able to remain healthy as a leadership team in the midst of it, then I, I think we could see ourselves all over the Mid-South, which is kind of dramatically underserved. You know, there's a lot of Uh, places to work doing mental health, but a lot of them are kind of toxic and don't represent good opportunities. We think we could probably replicate what we've done here in in a lot of other places. What is it about the Mid-South that creates the opportunity? One, there's just not as many therapists. You know, I was trained in California. Half of Half of the marriage therapists in the country statistically are in California, Uh, not because Californians are so crazy, but uh, that's where a lot of the training centers are. You know, uh, uh, until three or four years ago, there there wasn't a whole lot of nighttime and evening, weekend, part-time training options for a master's degree in, in Arkansas. There, there's just not been a lot of training, especially when you get out in the rural areas. I, I also think, you know, and I, I say this as a former minister, you know, the hyper-religiosity you can see at times, you know, leads to people not asking for help or needing to keep things on the down low probably too long. And so, you know, it, it turns away that it turns out that uh, no amount of faith perhaps is going to take away somebody else's free choice and free will and, and things like marriages with substance use and things like that, you know, outside help is needed. So I think that's part of it is we're seeing a lot of first time users in the, in the mid South of mental health. There's great t-shirts floating around. You see them all over the place. They say something like, you can have both Jesus and a therapist, right? Um, (laughs) I like it. You know, we're seeing a lot of people embrace that finally. And and I think that's leading to a lot of first-time use. So as use goes up, you know, you'll get more people trained. It'll eventually balance out. But for right now, it's a great time to be a therapist in the South. 
What do you enjoy the most about living in Arkansas? Oh, cost of living for sure. Coming from Southern California, cost of living. We, when, when we moved here, we, we bought in a, a neighborhood that looks like something we could have never afforded in Southern California uh, for a quarter of the cost or something. And, and people would ask when we were at the park with our kids or something, you know, what do you do for a living? And I'd say, well, I haven't nothing right now. I'm starting a business soon, I think. And then they would ask, well, are you, are you wealthy or something? I, I would say, no. I mean, the, what our mortgage uh, is here was what I've been paying in rent in California since I was 19 or 20. Right. So uh, <laughs> moving here and scraping together enough to live, you know, doing some teaching and whatever. I've always kind of joked that it, it, you feel semi-retired, even though you're working your, your tail off. So cost of living stuff to be, you know, there's, been points in the last couple of years where gas was like a dollar nineteen or something, you know, <laughs> and you know, cocktails at a bar are five bucks. So we, sure. we love that. I do love the. You know, I'm a beach kid. I grew up on the beach, but Arkansas and a lot of these mid south states have such a cool lake culture. You know, everybody goes to the lake. Mm-hmm. And they got these party barges, and you know, it's a lot of fun. So, and then so the people it- are. are People are kind here. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a Southern gentility that is pretty cool. What were you going to say? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't mean to interrupt. So what do you miss most about California? Is it surfing? No, I miss the ability to pull into a random strip mall at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday night and find three great restaurants that you've never had open still, you know, that you could get Thai and Ethiopian and, you know, barbecue all in the the same random strip mall. Everything closes out here, you know, early and on the weekends. Sure. Uh, so just that availability of, of food and culture and music and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have it here, but it, it's, it's not on demand like it is in some of those big cities. Sure. No, I can, I can certainly appreciate that. Well, before we turn to podcasting, was there anything else mm-hmm. about the business that we didn't cover that you think is worth, uh, mentioning to, to get on the record, if you will? Well, I will throw a shout out uh, to the peer advisory process. I think if anybody's listening and is looking to be a business owner that scales and has support, there's a lot of great organizations out there. I've, I've been a, a participant, a member in a thing called Vistage for uh, five and a half, six years. There's other ones, YPO and, and uh, you know things like that. Any of those are spectacular, but I think there's, you know, one of the things they say in the South is you can't read the, the label from inside the jar. And that's not true being uh, an entrepreneur and things like that. You really need fresh sets of eyes looking in on you and saying, hey, man, I think your, your pride's wrapped up in this one or, you know, you're making a, a, a foolish or rash decision or you're onto something. Don't give up. And so peer advisory is uh, crucial. You know, I, I can't remember where it comes from, but, the you know, the old saying is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, you know? And so I'm very sure. thankful for uh, peer advisory and other wise mentors in my life. So highly recommended for anybody. M- mine, I can't remember if I said this, mine is called Vistage that I participate in. There's chapters pretty much every big city around the country. Yeah. I think I may have mentioned on when we spoke before that my wife has been a Vistage chair for about 10 oh, years. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and not a, just a visit chair. She's like a big dog, right? She's one of the Yeah, I think best. she's like top 
10 or top 20 or something, yeah. but she, yeah, she just loves what she does. And I think for the same reason that you get so much value as the chair you know, who's leading the meetings, she, she also just has tremendous satisfaction from really feeling like she's making a difference. You know, we both work with entrepreneurs in different capacities and uh, yeah, I mean, I bet you at least once a week, she gets an email from someone that says, you know, something she did like changed their life for the best. So mm. that's uh, really gratifying. So it's great to hear. And I've met many of her, of her client or her members mm. through the years. And yeah. So the funny thing, I actually wanted to join Vistage about eight or nine years ago, but the problem is I, I met my wife in a spinning class and she was so good as an instructor that she kind of ruined me on other spinning classes. <laughs> yeah. and, and I had the same issue with Vistage that I wanted, I only wanted to do Vistage if I could be in one of her groups, but they yeah. said it just, it's just a bad idea. And so I kind of felt stuck, you know, it'd be hard for me to be in a, with another chair, knowing that, you know, my wife is probably the best and, you know, just watching her commitment and conviction and, you know, all she mm -hmm. does. So, yes, I was kind of in this quandary. And so the answer was I've kind of just done it sort of informally with just, you know, other entrepreneurs. But yeah, the structured fashion of it is, uh, is really powerful. Yeah. So let's talk about podcasting. That's the name of the show, mm -hmm. Podcasting mm -hmm. Stories. So let's tell some podcasting stories. I, talk to me about your kind of experience on as a podcast listener and your thoughts on whether you've ever considered kind of having your own podcast. Why don't we just kind of catch people up on where you are currently? Yeah. Yeah. There's probably uh, three, three prongs to that answer. One, I, like a lot of people, I I do a lot of my business learning via podcasts, right? And getting to hear uh, stories of, of people that have uh, gone before you, built things, survived things. It's immensely valuable. It, it's also a, a great way to introduce diversity into what you're consuming. You know, I, you know, folks that value diversity and equity and inclusion and make sure it ha is happening around them. But, you know, the stuff they're ingesting, learning from is still 100% people that look and love and live like them. You know, podcasting is a great way to get inside the head of, for me, uh, women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color and LGBTQ. So it's spectacular. That, that's one is I, I, I devote time every day to listening to, to business summaries and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. I think historically, the quality of those has been high enough. You know, they got sound effects. And I was listening to, to one recently and, you know, they're reenacting a restaurant scene and you can hear dishes clanking. And I mean, it's, it's amazing, <laughs> the quality. And, but, you know, you sit there and think, well, you know, I can't, I can't do this. You know, this is outside of my league or whatever. And in some ways, I think probably like a lot of people, I've kicked the can down the road. It's not quite podcasting, but during the pandemic, I, I stumbled into doing some online learning type stuff where I created, uh, you know, master class type thing for building practices like ours. And I got a huge response and host a, a weekly Zoom, you know, kind of two-way discussion now with a bunch of, of folks that are in a paid community and 
you know, we record it and distribute it to the people that can't make it. Not quite a podcast, but the feedback's been huge. And, and it's been a, a steady growing audience and it monetizes. I think probably where we cross paths to some degree was the awareness that, that I'm on to something here, but I also don't have the time to, to manage it or do it at the level that I'd want. Sure. Do you enjoy leading those Zoom sessions weekly? Yeah, I, you know, I do. I think, I, you know, my favorite part about being a therapist, I tell people, is the first two or three sessions where you're getting to know somebody. You know, I think I'm probably an interviewer at heart and I'm curious and, you know, I'm the kid that read encyclopedias and humans are, are encyclopedias with legs. You know, just getting to ask questions about people's journey and what they like about where they live and that, that stuff's super easy for me. The podcasts that are the, the Zoom sessions that I run are, it's a nice format where it's about 30 minutes of, of content for me, you know, usually a three to five bullet point list on how to increase internal referrals or something like that. And then we open it up to Q&A, which, you know, that runs itself. Uh, it, it's mm-hmm. amazing, you know, we'll, we'll Q&A about the topic and that usually lasts about 10 minutes. And then we just open it up to broad entrepreneurship, you know, practice management Q&A. And, you know, we're always, we always got questions left when we're out of time. So, yeah, I, I like it a lot. I, I think it, like you said, it's one of my favorite hours of the week. Uh, they're my people, you know, probably you experience this as a podcaster, uh, that you're talking to people that, that love and kind of nerd out on the same thing that you do. So sure. The fact that you might do business development or get paid to do it is, is silly at times, but fun. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. So I had wrote down two things that, that you talked about, that you're a regular podcast listener. And then you talked about, you know, this online learning that you're doing via the Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. But I thought you set that up with that there were three aspects of podcasting that you wanted to mention, or did I misunderstand that? No, that that was them. One, one okay. that I listened to them. Two, that I uh, had initially convinced myself this is out of my reach. Oh, I see. And, and then... And then three, I've backed myself into realizing it's probably not out of my reach. I, I, I can show up in a t-shirt and uh, with a good topic and I've got listeners and people to talk with. So, uh, okay, well, so yeah. So we have a, we have a scorecard to help people kind of determine if they're a good uh, kind of fit for a podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you like, why do I just kind of run through these? Yeah, uh, that'd be great. Real quick. So the first one is podcast listening, and I'm just going to kind of hit what they're sort of in four quadrants. I'm just going to hit kind of the top quadrant. So I regularly listen to at least one podcast a month. It sounds like that describes you. Is that correct? Yeah, a lot more than daily, one a month, probably, it sounds yeah. like. Okay. Because what we found is somebody who doesn't listen to podcasts, it's really kind of a hard uh, connection for them to make mm. and to understand. It's kind of like I say, it's like if you've never uh, watched a television, it'd be hard to imagine like why you might want to advertise on television. Same reason that our leaders are therapists in our company. Like if you're not doing it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yep. So the next one is about you know, kind of having a tools and content and a way to keep in touch with prospects and clients. Now, it sounds like on that front, you guys are actually doing pretty well. A lot of the people we talk to, you know, they, they don't really have a system and that's part of what the podcast provides. Uh, you know, like, like a typical client may only send out a couple emails a year to their database because they don't want to be annoying, which I can certainly mm-hmm. appreciate. But it sounds like you all have a, a more robust like emailing system. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, part of it is, this is bigger than me. Part of one of my initiatives internally is, is to make sure that all my clinicians have 
space to create as well. And, you know, even being able to reach out to our uh, current and our, our past client base, which numbers 35,000 emails, and essentially be able to provide them valuable content, maybe even uh, anonymous valuable content in the sense they don't have to walk into a therapy office at no cost. I, I feel like we theoretically, I mean, it could, this is triple win maybe where we're helping elevate the mental health of, of folks across the state of Arkansas by giving them access to thought leadership within our practice. But then it, it also uh, it ties in brand awareness and, and some of that inevitably results in folks saying, you know what, I need to go back and see these people. They were really helpful. But then it also acts as a, an incredibly valuable in, employee uh, attraction and retention tool. You know, I think a lot of therapists do long to create, they're overwhelmed by it. And, and to be able to join a practice where you get to make an appearance on a podcast, you know, a couple times a year, that gives them something that they can put out in the space and be proud of. Look at what I'm doing, mom, you know, that kind sure, of Sure, sure. So, yeah, no, I that's a, that's actually a, a great fit there. So the next one is lifetime value of a client. And when I talk about client, I'm talking about your therapist. And the top answer is that, that the, each client is worth at least $20,000 of kind of revenue over the life of the relationship. And based on our prior conversation, it sounds like that number is actually substantially more than that. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A, a therapist that comes and stays for a couple of years is, is worth a multiple of that for sure. Sure. Okay. And then the next one is I have at least 500 people in a CRM who I could email. Uh, obviously you're at 35,000. What about the looking at like your therapist customers? Would you say that you have mm-hmm. 500 therapists in your database who you can reach out to? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got a loosely connected coaching platform called semiprivatepractice.com, which is where I do practice coaching for other practice owners. And, and we're easily a thousand plus email addresses in that one as well. Okay. So that's, that's great. I'm known in the industry community and I'm periodically quoted or asked to speak at industry events. Does that sound like you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I can think of at least 12 people who would immediately say yes to being a guest. Yep. Not a problem. I enjoy talking with people one-to-one, understanding more about their situation and helping them better understand my subject. Yep, absolutely. And and then this last one here is a little is a little different. It's kind of a new one. And where this came from is we for somebody who wants to do one episode one podcast episode a month, our cost for that $750 a month. And what I discovered myself is I would have clients on my podcast is that that hour on my podcast in many ways was more valuable to that client than me spending that same $750 to go take, you know, buy them a fancy bottle of wine or take them to a, you know, a a very upscale golf experience. Mm -hmm. So I started kind of thinking of it as a, you know, kind of, because what I find are people who are avid podcast listeners, they typically want to have a podcast if they can just kind of decide that they have the time and they're willing to spend the money. So some of these questions are to help kind of anticipate those ROI type questions. And so would, how, would you say that, that even without counting them up, that there's at least 12 contacts in your uh, universe, you know, probably 
therapist, either current therapist or potential therapist, where the value of that relationship is you know, worth more than $750 to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's funny without being able to like see the whole scorecard. So the score goes from like one to 12 and there's three quad, you know, four quadrants. So that top quadrant you would have self-scored is 10, 11, or 12. And basically based on the answers, I would put you at a 12 for almost all of them. You know, a few of them might've been an 11. And I think the highest Mm -hmm. score I've ever had from probably a hundred people who've taken this is probably in the seventies. And as near as I can tell, the maximum score is 96. I'm putting you somewhere in the low 90s. So you may think this is just a sales technique or something, (laughs) but congratulations on having the highest score. And in summation, I would say that in many ways, you're a perfect fit for a podcast because Mm -hmm. you're a regular listener. You the lifetime value of a client is high. You have a email list of more than 500 people. You're known in the community. You can think of at least 12 people who'd love to be a guest. You enjoy talking to people and you have enough relationships that have, that are valuable relationships that you'd mm-hmm. be willing to, you know, in essence, showcase them, you know, spend the $750 to showcase them as a podcast guest. So when I put all that together, you really are a good a good fit. Candidate. So what like what questions might you have for me, you, you know, based on my experience, based on other clients we've worked with that maybe come to mind? I know we had kind of a preliminary call a couple of weeks ago, but yeah. anything kind of new questions that come to mind since we spoke last? I, I think one of mine would be on the, you know, probably twofold. Um one would be on the technicality side of it, you know, what, okay. uh, like, how, you know, how, how do you get in the system kind of thing? How, how does this go from being two guys, you know, recording it and, uh, you know, good luck with that, Ken. And I posted on my Facebook wall once and it never gets any traction. Uh, like where, where, I mean, truly cold leads is there, is there an opportunity for that? How do you end up on the iTunes store or whatever? And then the second would be, what is the, because uh, I'm always looking at how do you use the whole cow kind of thing? Uh, how do you develop multiple income streams? So what, what is the potential besides the, the direct connection to, to prospects for something like this to monetize? How do people monetize podcasts besides the, the direct selling aspect? So those are great questions. So I'll uh, kind of answer the second one first. So... To be honest, we're not that, our clients don't tend to be that focused on the monetization Mm -hmm. in the same way that like if they write a book, they're not trying to get that like on the New York Times bestseller list. They're using it as as an educational tool. But there are two ways that come to mind. One is iTunes has started a subscription service just like in the last month. So you actually could have your podcast, uh, to where in, in, I'm not aware of all the details because it's relatively new and it's not a model that most of our clients are looking at right now. But I think it's something like you can set the price where you want, but potentially you could have your current membership group that you have. You could like give them free access to the paid mm-hmm. podcast, if you will. And then additionally, you could also, with potential new listeners, you could direct them to the podcast. Because like a typical subscription is like, 
you know, two ninety nine to nine ninety nine a month. Hmm. And so I don't know. And my guess is that's probably less than you're charging for your community, your membership oh, community. Yeah. So yeah. it might be a way of of having a funnel for people who maybe aren't ready to make that financial commitment that mm-hmm. they may be more comfortable with that. And and you might even, as you're talking to people like about the community or about becoming you know, a member, you know, one of the therapists on your team, and that you're getting kind of some pushback financially, you may be able to say, well, hey, we have kind of an interim approach where we have this podcast subscription and you, know, you may want to do mm-hmm. that. So I think that would probably be the most obvious. Yeah, the most obvious that would come to mind. You know, the other traditional way is, you know, selling advertising. And mm-hmm. the challenge with that is until you get up to like, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads per month, you just don't really get on the radar screen of any for any significant gotcha. advertising dollars. Now, the other op- option that I have seen some people do, if you had a platform where you just really had a huge backlog of people dying to be on it, you could potentially you know, charge somebody to be a guest on the podcast. Hmm. Now, I wouldn't think for your therapists that are on the team already, I, w- I wouldn't think that would be a path you'd want to take because you know they're already paying you you forty know, percent of collections. That might not resonate. But potentially, if you had somebody who was not on your team but who was interested in exploring a relationship, you you could potentially you know charge them. Uh, and just tell them, hey, these podcasts cost seven hundred and fifty bucks. You're going to get exposure to you know lots of people, and mm-hmm. if you end up joining the team, you know we'll basically apply that to you know your joining cost or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think those would be the the two ways, and I think of those two, the iTunes membership would probably be the most desirable. And what I'm kind of envisioning is you might actually have almost like two tracks. You'd have your free podcast track. And then you would have uh, kind of the paid one where uh-huh. you would have either more episodes or additional content or, you know, something along those lines. So does that help kind of on the monetization? Yeah, that gives me a lot to think about. And then, and then as far as the kind of technical aspect of it, the, I mean, the main thing to know is just that, because our tagline is where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. And so the process, we use the very same setup that our clients use. There's a recorded call in line and, mm-hmm. uh, and at the end of it, you hang up and then five minutes later, you get an email from us with a copy of the recording. If you want to listen to it and you spend wow. about, about five minutes recording the intro and typing in just kind of some guest information. So literally huh. right after our call ends, I will record the intro for our episode and it'll go something like, you know, my guest today is Ken Clark, the founder of Chanel Family Therapy. He's got a really great story. He was uh, a Wall Street guy, kind of made a career change, really enjoyed helping people and serving and that led to a career in in therapy. And from there, he couldn't help himself as a kind of a serial entrepreneur to put together a, a setup that was more efficient than a lot of people's. And it's grown to be, uh, you know, hundreds of therapists or approaching 100 therapists, more than 10 million in revenue. And they've 
they're a perennial Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. I think there's a lot you'll learn from this. Ken's a really engaging guy. And even if you're not in the therapy business, I think there's a lot you could learn. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. So literally, that's what the uh, intro will sound like. And then we will, that'll be transcribed and that will become the body of the email that goes out to our database announcing your episode. It comes right from that. And, and then our team, like, you know, they just, they do everything else. It's, we maintain a, uh, a website for our clients for their podcast. So we'll either create a separate domain name, or if they're worried about SEO, they can create what's called a subdomain. That would be like podcast dot, and then the name of the business. And then you can give our team access to just that portion. And that way we can go ahead and do the maintenance of the podcast, you know, announcing new episodes and such. And, and then we make sure it gets posted to iTunes and all the other platforms. And then we actually prepare the email and the artwork for the episode. So you can, if you want to post it on social media, there's actually artwork for the episode. And then we actually draft the email for you to send to your guest because, you know, it's easier to edit somebody else's first draft than to try to do a first draft mm-hmm. and then a perfect draft all at once. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you sign off on the email. We are set up, some of our clients who don't really have a robust email marketing, we actually will, will maintain a separate database, we'll email on their behalf. For companies who have more robust email marketing like you, your team would probably want to do that themselves and just use your database and such. But we would, like I said, we would prepare the episode and the artwork and all somebody on your team would have to do is just, you know, cut and paste that into the email and, and send go or hit go. And so we, we say that uh, usually the plan is you schedule an hour, the interview itself, 40 to 45 minutes, and then you know a few minutes for the, the follow-up and then a few minutes to review the email. So if you're doing one episode a month, you could probably figure an hour and a half, you know, kind of once you're in the swing of things. And then if you do more than that, And then the other thing that I don't know if we talked about before, but we actually, if you want, we actually can produce transcripts of the episode episodes. Those are not cheap because we're actually paying a live person to do those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's, I think our cost for that's about 250 an episode to do the transcript. And if you go to our website, podcasting stories, I have transcripts for all the guests and you could just take a look at those to get a sense of what that's like. And the website platform we use for all of our podcasts, it's like the front end of our, the back end service we use, whichever one it is. And it's kind of a standard templated format, but all of our mm-hmm. clients use that same template. And it's, you know, nobody's ever complained about it. I mean, we have some color selection and stuff. And that's kind of the, the process. We usually, don't recommend transcripts to start with unless a client has convinced us that, no, we, we're going to be able to use this. We're going to be able to repurpose this mm-hmm. content immediately. Then we say, sure, go for it. But otherwise it's, you know, it is expensive. I mean, and we can do two podcasts a month for a thousand dollars, which is the cost of one podcast and a transcript. So yeah. for most of our clients, they get more bang from doing multiple podcasts. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Well, it's really neat. I'm I'm excited to to put some pen to paper and think about how I might be able to do this. So, 
Well, good. Well, it's been uh, fun talking through this and, and our listeners will enjoy this too, because every single person who's considering having a podcast you know, has a different angle. They come at it from a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, some people don't listen to podcasts as much. And, and uh, so they're going to enjoy this a lot. Last question. What do you, sure. if you could go back in time and, and have a conversation with your 25-year-old self, what advice might you give them? Do your own work sooner. There's a lot of, you know, as far as, as uh, mental health and self-review and, you know, I, I think the, I wish somebody would have grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me and said, the sooner you figure out how to look in the mirror without being afraid, the sooner you will succeed to the level you want. So I, I think that, you know, uh, it takes a lot of us getting a little gray hair to, to not be so afraid of critique and things like that. Gosh, any younger person that can learn to do that sooner is ahead of, you know, two thirds of who's leading companies. <laughs> so, uh, absolutely a recipe for success. Well, that is great advice. And I think there's probably, yes, yeah, some other uh, people who would have given that same advice to their 25 year old mm-hmm. self. Yep. Well, Ken, this has been a really enjoyable hour and it has just flown by. Yeah. So I wanted me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And so I just wanted to thank you for taking the time and to compliment you on uh, not only building a great business, but following your passion and your desire to serve and your focus on trying to find underserved parts of the country who mm-hmm. you could add the most value. And so I think, think mm-hmm. it's, it's great that you've, you seem to have you know, kind of followed a calling while also made it a business success at the same time. So I know that's not the easiest combination. So congratulations on pulling that oh, off. I appreciate the kind words. All right. Well, you have a, a great day then, and we'll talk another time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcastingstories.com. This podcast is brought to you by your podcast team. If you have ever considered having your own podcast, head over to www.yourpodcast.team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.